his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We hope to have Paul Valor on from the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management uh, to talk about how will supply chain problems affect holiday shopping. Well, we already know how it's been affecting shopping, period. You know, since this COVID for this year, I would say definitely in 2021, you know, we've really been seeing since this past spring to now that there are major problems with supply chains and trying to make sure that people have what they need, right? I'm not talking about what we want. I'm talking about what we need. Whether you have small children, babies, uh, whether you have sick parents, whether you are trying to figure out your workload, if it's getting bigger or not getting bigger, can you convince the company to let you stay home and and work and do you have is there enough paper out there for us to buy for the printers is it enough ink i'm telling you ink has been a problem for me um i have these clients that i love to work with and you know i like to print off the scripts and things that i'm working with with them and i cannot tell you how much ink i go through i almost feel like i i keep a bag of them you know first it was a small bag and now it's a gallon ziploc bag you know, because I don't want to throw it away irresponsibly. I have to find out where I'm supposed to take it. Someone told me once and then I forgot, and I'm sure I can look it up and see, but it's frustrating. I don't want to do any damage to the environment. But at the same time, you know, this is what we have to go through. So when people talk about supply chains, it seems like um, a word that's put together um, these two words, and it feels as though it minimizes what we're going through. And when there are so many people in far-flung areas of the country, you know, where they don't easily get to a grocery store, they don't easily get to a Staples to get ink, they don't easily get to much. And we don't talk about them much. We talk about the urban areas and the suburbs and that sort of thing. But we're having major problems. And so as we start thinking about what are we going to do for the holidays, right? Um, I know for our family. Oh, we do have Dr. Valor. Oh, excellent. Welcome, Dr. Paul Valor. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Geraldine. I hope this finds you well as you're preparing for the Thanksgiving holiday. Oh, it, I tell you, it does find me well. I'm excited about the Thanksgiving holiday. Of course, we're all talking about supply chain problems and how it might affect shopping, as well as how to manage our budget to make sure that we don't make major financial mistakes this year as well. That's right. This is a time for it. It's not just about butterball turkeys. It's everything, really, from soup to nuts, from uh, semiconductors and automobiles to the just the things that we buy every day. There are these shortages. And the big question right now is, 
are these shortages the product of a supply chain disruptions that are temporary, or is there something deeper going on? That's the big question right now, Geraldine. And and if you can figure that one out, you know, there's a job for you in Washington and maybe at the IMF right now. But it's the big controversy. <laughs> That's why I'm talking to you, sir, because that is the question. Who is benefiting for us f- from this uh, opportunity while we are suffering, right, not getting what we need when it comes to the supply chain? But somebody's making money. There's no way they're going to let that just sit out there and nobody's making money. Who's well, making the money? It's a great question. There are winners and losers. You, you have to think about, think about who the winners and losers are so far. I think we need to think about what are the causes. And, and this, of course, begins and ends with the public health COVID pandemic that's been going on since Mar- uh, since spring of, of 2020. But I think now that it's on, it's in, it's in, it's heading receding, I guess is the way to put it. it. It's to think about who are the temporary sources of supply that are benefiting from some of the shortages. And my quick answer to that is the domestic uh, suppliers who are stepping in to fill in while international disruptions write themselves. And by that, I mean, North American, U.S. and Canadian, and for that matter, Mexican. The USMCA means that the ability to move things within North America are easier than they are internationally between North America and, say, the Pacific Rim. So in the short term, it's domestic suppliers, but they can't crank it up enough that quickly, and they have their own smaller disruptions in rail and trucks. So we have to see what happens with that in the next couple months, but I'm pretty sure that will clear up. In the longer term, Geraldine, I think the big issues are about what happens in China and what happens in shipping on the Pacific uh, routes that connect China to the West Coast. That's what we should be watching for in early 2022. For now, let's just see what Americans and Canadians and Mexicans can crank up in the way of production between now and the new year. Okay, so then if this is really what is happening how do we fight it? You know, we have become a country that is relying on other countries to make sure that we get the things done we need to get done. I, I've never agreed with it. I don't understand why we didn't keep it right here, build, do what we need to do for our own country. It was going just fine. And then we started um, diversifying and we started sending out more of our companies. I mean, look, the iPhone being made in China alone, I just kind of sit back and go, what? We have Silicon Valley. I don't understand this. So as we watch it all unfold and try to get clarity, where do we look first to get clarity? Well, I think what you should be thinking about is, you know, we're here in Minnesota where we have a real headquarters economy. Some of the biggest multinationals are located here in retail like Target and Best Buy and in manufacturing like Medtronic, 3M, and in ag businesses like Cargill and General Mills. So we might ask what they've been doing and what they can do to essentially diversify their supply chains. I think the 1990s and all the liberalization in trade and investment meant that these big multinationals were able to make big bets on international producers who could do things cheaply. They could do things more cheaply than we could in North America. And I think what we've learned from the pandemic is that they need to make sure they have uh, a redundancy in their networks. They need to have both domestic suppliers and international, and they may be able to move and pivot more easily between those two in the cases of crisis like we've dealt with in the last 18 months. I think they're learning that. And what I'm hoping is that they've learned to have a degree of redundancy in their supply chains going forward. If they do, as big multinationals, then I think they're going to set the right kind of precedent for other small and medium-sized enterprises that are 
still going to rely on international chains, but can also benefit from having alternatives that are closer to home. And I think that's a winner for everyone. It's good for American workers, but it's also good for American consumers. They should have as much choice as they, as they need, as much choice as they want, and I think that's what we need to provide for them. We need to provide for them alternative sources for the right kind of products at the right prices, and I think we can do that in a way that's good for the American economy as well as for the world economy right now. And that's what's not defined well for me, the American uh, economy, because we have all these multinationals who are in other countries like Medtronic, I believe, is in Ireland, and that is their home base now. And, of course, yes, they can help with the supply. They can help get things here. But are they willing to do it? Is it the first thing that they think about? We Americans are the ones that help build them, bring them up. Right? Mm -hmm. Help spread the word. Help love on them. Yet, are they giving to giving back to make sure that we too have what we need, just like the other countries do? Yeah, you know, it's it's when we ask a multinational to do something other than what they're supposed to do, which is make a lot of goods, make them well, do well by their workers, do well by their suppliers, do well by their shareholders. When we ask them to do something more than that, that's a big ask. Because, you know, in a way, on the one hand, we ask them to be good corporate citizens. And, and in, the, in the Twin Cities area, of course, we have some of the best corporate citizens you can think of. You know, think of the origins of the 5% club, that commitment that goes back to the days of Dayton's and 3M and the like. And I think it's a fair thing to say that the corporations here have a, a great philanthropic commitment to the community. But I think right now what they're trying to figure out, and these are frankly, good problems to have as a multinationals. They're trying to figure out how to manage what has just been a jerk, a jerk up in the way of demand. Just to give you a, a couple of, of numbers, Gerlin, you know, we've gone from growing at about 1.5% at the fourth quarter of 2020, or 2020 to growing from 3.5% to 6.5% in the first and second quarters of 2021, then it cut down because of the Delta variant, but now we're on a course to grow about 6.7, maybe upwards of 7% by the end of the year. Gerlin, we haven't seen that since the 1980s. So, so right now, multinationals and small and medium-sized enterprises that feed into them, they're just trying to manage this sudden demand that's come from consumers and has also come from government trying to now get people who haven't gotten back into the workforce back into it after they're vaccinated. So there's a lot of things we're asking big companies to do right now, and they're doing their best. I, I think that's the way they're muddling through. And, and what I think we'll find is we'll find with the beginning of 2022 that a lot of the shortage we see, the bottleneck shortages we see, are going to relieve themselves. They're going to be less so, and I think we're going to be looking at this not as a permanent change, but I think as a temporary disruption, kind of what happens when you suddenly go from doing zero in your car to 60 in two seconds. You know, it jerks the neck. And we're still in that jerk phase. And I think that bodes well for what's going to happen in 2022 when, say, shipping shortages right themselves, when consumers have a little bit better sense of what their budgets are, when government has some clarity on what they're going to be spending on to essentially build back better and build in the way of infrastructure. I think those, are, those foretell good things for the economy, good things for big businesses here in Minnesota. And I think for the broader national and world economy, I think we're on an upturn, and these are just kind of the temporary jerks, the temporary disruptions that go with it. Well, with the, the unfortunate part is that not all of us understand it all. And um, when you're talking about multinationals and their part, 
their part mm -hmm. in all of this. Um, some people really don't get it. How would you simply explain to people what it truly means to be a multinational and how it affects us Americans? Well, I, I think a multinational just means that it's a company that has uh, it has locations. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, physical re retail locations and supply locations around the world in more than one country. And we have some iconic ones, as I mentioned before. And what it also means is that multinationals essentially, they're by definition tapping into world supply markets for inputs and for outputs. And so they need to do things that other smaller and medium-sized companies just don't. They need to manage you know, foreign political risk, exchange risk, and the like. And, and they do that with a lot of great human capital, with right, great technologies. And of that human capital, that means people right here in Minnesota that run those companies. That means great technologies from the labs that are right here in Minnesota. So we benefit from those companies. And we should be, in many ways, especially the local ones, cheering them on because it's not only good for the national economy when they do well, it's good for us. They're a big engine of employment and a big engine of investment. So the simple answer to this question is, as these multinationals write the supply chains, it's going to write the economy on its path to growth with less inflation. And I'll give you one other number. You know, the inflation rate was high in this last quarter, it was somewhere around uh, 5 and 5.3% on an annual basis. And that, of course, is much higher than we've had in the past. But last quarter, in the second quarter, it was about 6.8%. So it's actually, in, inflation is actually on the downturn in the last three and a half months. And I suspect we're going to see that coming down towards 2 and 3% on a per annum basis starting in early 2022. Again, that's good news because growth is going to continue inflation and the inflationary pressures, I think, are going to subside. And that's good news for the economy here locally and nationally. Okay, then, if that's really good news and we're moving forward with that, we know that we have to deal with the supply chain problems because this affects mm -hmm. us individually. Other countries, I'm not sure how they operate and make sure that their people have what they need. But here in America, there doesn't seem to be a sense of understanding or consistency when, it talk, when we talk about supply chain problems and how we're going to solve them. Do you agree with that? I do. And I think one of the big reasons is because we're not just a large economy. We're a large national economy, a single one. So take, for instance, if you were in Europe, they're much more acutely aware of this because the EU, while it's a single economic unit, it's not a single political unit. So if you're a citizen in France and you know that a lot of the input of manufacturing goods come from other parts of Western Europe, you're acutely aware of international supply chains because so many things, so much more crosses borders as a matter of what you consume than here in the U.S. Sure, we, sure we import and export a lot, but still it's a relatively small part of the overall GDP, we are one heck of a large domestic economy and essentially one big free trade zone. So we're lucky in that regard. And I think, you know, for most individuals, we don't think twice about it because we've historically had a lot of great alternative supply chains within the U.S. That's been something which has been essentially left to wither during the pandemic, and now we're revitalizing it. And again, if you start from zero and head to 60, well, you're going to have a jerk in the neck. And I think some of our domestic supply chains are writing themselves out now, too. Again, wait till January, February in 2022, and I think we'll see things writing themselves. We'll see inflationary pressures coming down. We'll see bottlenecks loosening up. We'll see more orderly growth and decisions by investors. And I, I think, again, multinationals will lead the way because 
that's their advantage. It's technological and logistic. They have to get these things right. And if they do it, then others can follow their example. You know, it feels like, Dr. Vela, that real, um, realistically, it is those who are playing in the market games and know how this all works and the multinationals and the corporations that are looking to make sure that the upper middle class and higher get what they need. I want to know what happens to the poor, what happens to the middle class teachers that are not making the money they need to continue working in that field. And, and all of that has a lot to do with now, right now, because we have these holidays showing up. Um, there's the, the article from CNBC that talks about how much holiday shoppers plan to spend and how they can avoid the debt because we know the debt is increasing. It's not standing still during this time, correct? Yeah, I think you're right about this. This is a longer-term issue. The last year and a half, however, has seen investors in the stock market do incredibly well. We saw a downturn in March, April, and May, of 2020, but we've seen an incredible snapback uh, since then. So if you're an investor and you had substantial capital to put into stocks, bonds, or housing, you've benefited. For those who haven't, and that's so many, of you say, of, of the lower middle class, other individuals getting started, they've been left behind. I think the big issue there for them are two things, Gerlin. One is employment. We're, we're getting ourselves back to something closer to full employment, but we're not there yet. And the big issue there is, I believe, not so much a lack of demand. There's plenty of it. It's that a lot of individuals and households, particularly in poorer households, are still finding it hard to get out and go work in the workplace because they're stuck at home, either because they're taking care of children and uh, homeschooling them because of fears of COVID, or maybe aging uh, parents or grandparents. And so the, some of the things in the infrastructure package, but more importantly, in Biden's Build Back Better package are just the tonic for those individuals, for individuals who are looking for a leg up in the economy, as you say, the working poor and others starting out. So good uh, subsidized high quality child care, early pre-K education, uh, other kinds of tax credits for children so that working families and working poor have an opportunity to participate. That to me is the right kind of prescription to get them into the economy, to get them productive, to make things safe at their home, and frankly, to make them future investors so they can benefit from this just like so many of us who are more fortunate have been able to benefit in the last year, I'd say, with the run-up of the stock market. It's investing in uh, working families, giving them the opportunity of a safe home, safe education and health care. And then I think these infrastructure investments that we're making, these are the kinds that are just built for individuals, whether they're in organized labor or they're coming into the workforce for the first time, they're built for them. They're built to get them working, and I think to get the whole economy moving, not just those at the fortunate few in the top fifth of the economy that have done so well. I really think that's important for us as we go forward in 2022. I sure appreciate all of your concerns, and I wish that we had something called financial justice. Maybe that does exist. I need to look it up. But I tell you, it's frustrating to watch it all unfold, no matter where your status is in life here in the United States. Um, I do want to say thank you so much for bringing a lot of clarity tonight. And I would love to talk to you after the holidays are over with to see where we stand in late January. Um, so I hope that we can call on you again, sir. It'll be my pleasure, Gerilyn, and I wish you and yours and all the listeners on WCCO the very best in the Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you, sir. To you, too. Take care. Take care. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. 
But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.